Ramble. Ramble. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to this week's main episode of Rotten Mango. I'm your host, Stephanie Sue, and let's just drop you right in. Many therapists will tell you that couples who constantly find new things to talk about over dinner, over coffee, on a nice little walk after dinner, they're the healthiest. They have the strongest chance of staying together. What kind of podcast is this? They you ask, is this self-help all of a sudden? And the Christos, Mr. and Mrs. Christos, they were good at this. Mrs. Christos would come home every single night after work and tell Mr. Christos, about all the crazy things that were happening at her office job. She worked at corporate nine to five. She worked at a place filled with drama. There was a scandalous love triangle at work. Melissa, Mrs. Christo's work friend, was sleeping with a man named Jack, another employee. Now here's the thing. Jack was dating another woman by the name of Anna who worked at the competitive company. Can you believe it? It's a love triangle. Juicy. So, Mr. Christo, sweetie, what do you think Melissa should do? Do you think Jack likes Melissa more? Or do you think he likes Anna more? Do you think Anna is pretty? Here, let me show you a picture of Anna. But things start slowly escalating for the Christos. Suddenly, Mrs. Christo would come home and say, Well, I've got to go tonight. I'm actually helping Melissa with something. We're going to spy on Anna. What? We just want to see what this woman is like to see if her and Jack are really compatible. Hey, sweetie, do you, didn't you say you have some night vision goggles? Do you mind if I use them? What about those handcuffs? Can I take the handcuffs? Do you know where I can buy a taser? I know it sounds crazy, but Melissa and I are going to break into Anna's house, hide under the bed, and just listen to the types of conversations that she has with Jack. Well, of course we need some protection. What if we get caught? Mrs. Christos would even tell her husband all about the crazy wild sex that Melissa and Jack were having. She tells you this? Isn't this some sort of HR violation? Don't you guys work together? No, 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 no. We're close. And besides, she said recently they started having anal sex. She wakes him up every morning with oral sex. I mean, they're in love. Mr. Christo had no idea that Mrs. Christo was Melissa. And she was telling him about her very own affair. And he definitely had no idea that this would all lead to the murder of an innocent person and him being stabbed in the chest in a hospital parking lot. So let's get into the crazy love. It's not even a love triangle. I don't know what this is. As always, full source notes are available at RottenMangoPodcast.com. But there's a really good book on this case called Obsessed by M. Phelps. I love all of his work. He has a ton of deep dives on a lot of true crime cases, even lesser talked about ones like this one. He was the host of Investigation Discovery's Dark Minds. He appears on Snap all the time. I love his work because he is just a top tier journalist. He's meticulous. He digs 
for all the facts. He gets the interviews done. But at the same time, he's an amazing author. You don't feel like you're reading a nonfiction book. You feel like you you feel for every person involved. You really feel for every victim. You relate to the case. And I think that's so important in true crime because to make the audience care about the people in the cases, because these are real people. These are real stories. And he just does a phenomenal job. So go check it out. It's a dense but really good book. Now let's jump right into the story. Sheila Davalu. There's a lot of people involved, so I'm going to run you down all of them, right? She was born in Virginia. Now her mom is Italian and French, and her dad was uh, from Iran. So she comes from a lot of different backgrounds. She's raised in this strict Muslim household. She herself was not religious. She didn't talk about it. She didn't actively practice it. She just felt like it was a duty to fulfill for her parents. The family would move around a lot. So she's born in the U.S., then they go to Iran, then Italy, then all over Europe, and then they immigrate back to the U.S. for a better life when she's 16. And honestly, this is a successful household. Her mom works at a scientific lab doing research. Her dad has an academic job. So Sheila and her younger brother, who's eight years younger, I mean, they have a lot to live up to. And of course, I mean, that's a lot of pressure for these kids. So Sheila, just like those movies, she starts acting out a little bit. She didn't get along with her parents. I mean, they're overbearing. They're just always fighting all the time. They never showed the kids love. They just were of a different culture. So Sheila would go out of her way to lie to her parents about things that she didn't even need to lie about. That's the weirdest thing. Like she wouldn't lie about her grades or not having a boyfriend, just what she ate for lunch, like things like that. Like, why do you, it doesn't make any sense. She even herself said, yeah, I was a little bit self-centered while growing up. I mean, I'll admit to it. Her parents absolutely refused to let her date in high school. They were so strict. This was a huge argument that they were constantly getting into. And at just 14 years old, Sheila grabs all the Tylenol that she can find in the house and takes what she believes to be an overdose of Tylenol. Now, she didn't take all of it, but she did take a lot. Psychiatrists would later state that Sheila probably didn't intend to take her own life, but she wanted the intention. Maybe her parents were really just emotionally neglecting her but Sheila would argue no 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 this was a real attempt I've always been a little bit depressed I had these little experiences growing up where I would have these episodes there was never a real reason for the depression it would just happen I mean it seemed like her main difficulty in life she came from a well-off family they traveled all the time she had access to a great education resources her only problem was that she was horrible at relationships She was someone who had a bit of like a love you, hate you, no in-between personality. So she was very strong-minded, very stubborn. I mean, she either loved you and wanted to talk to you nonstop or she despised your guts. For example, she did this even with her own younger brother. So when she was in college, which, by the way, she went to a great school, New York Medical College, went into the pharmaceutical field afterwards. But while she's in college, her brother suffers a mental breakdown. Now, Sheila had never gone along with him prior to this. But now now she really started to hate him. What? She didn't want to introduce him to anyone, never wanted to talk about him, never brought people to the house because they might see her brother. She was embarrassed of him. This is the saddest thing. Her brother actually was super isolated, never really saw anyone outside of his immediate family. Maybe they were embarrassed. I'm not sure. So he never really got out of the house and she was incredibly embarrassed of him. But the family moves on. You know, the parents and Sheila, they try to go on these vacations together where she had met a man, let's call him Adam, and fell completely head over heels for him. And this was her first boyfriend. Really felt like this guy is going to be my end all be all. But of course, she's got to go back to the U.S., So she leaves him. 
Then she gets a job at Purdue Pharma. And it's a private pharmaceutical company. She was going to be the manager of medical coding. She was going to make six figures at her job. Like, this is a banging opportunity. Now, mind you, Sheila is a good employee. But when she talked about work, she would like to sprinkle in some spice. She would tell people, I am the star employee, the top performer. If I leave, the company would fall apart. (laughs) It was a bit of an overstatement. She was an average employee, okay? But she loved to pretend like, I'm so busy. I've got these meetings. We all know those people, right? She's like, "Mm -mm, no one does their job. I'm picking up slack for everyone. This company needs me. Now, outside of work, she was living a really healthy lifestyle. She played volleyball. She ate healthy she loved herbal teas pills wanted to learn about alternative medicine she was that girl so side note there was another thing in sheila's life that was really tough on her she had been diagnosed with something called hyperhidrosis it's a condition that makes you sweat a lot i think it affects maybe like one percent of the population i mean when i say sweat a lot i mean all over your body your hands your feet everywhere and it's not necessarily because you're working out just all the time so Mm -hmm. it really impacts your day-to-day i mean it impacts your self-esteem especially as you know maybe sheila is so in general comfort she's like i gotta do something i can't live like this so she gets surgery to fix it now it doesn't go away entirely and there was a massive side effect that she would have to live with for the rest of her life is the fact that she would be a lot more cold than most people she was cold all the time okay so she has to wear a lot of clothes all the time Mm -hmm. what's worse Listen, I'm cold all the time. <laughs> so I would I would like to say, listen, I don't know. I think that might be worse. Maybe being cold is better. Yeah, yeah. So one day after work, Sheila went to happy hour with some of her coworkers. And that's when she bumped into Nelson Sessler. What a name, okay? Nelson. Now, Nelson also worked in the pharmaceutical industry. He actually worked at Purdue Pharma, the same company. It's that big of a company that they didn't know each other. He was tall handsome worked out super charming charismatic he had a ton of friends at work he loved working out he was built you know when they bump into each other at happy hour i mean it was love at first sight sheila was sure that this was the man for her i mean this is who she had been waiting for her whole life he had the whole package wrapped up neatly in a good looking package you know she wanted to see his package are you picking what i'm throwing down they start flirting ended up getting each other's numbers they would meet up at night to have wild sex i mean it was less of a relationship and more of a booty call but sheila wanted a serious relationship she's not okay with this i mean this guy really just only wants to have sex with her nothing else But maybe, maybe she's being a little cynical. Maybe he's the type of guy that takes a minute to open up. He needs some time to fall in love with her. I mean, what's not there to love, right? It's not like they were old. They've got the time. Sheila knew with time, Nelson would want her too. Then there was a moment that proved this. I mean, she's not just taking shots in the dark. So after one night of um, an amazing round of whatever they're doing, they're laying on Sheila's couch and she said that Nelson said the nicest, kindest, most amazing thing to her that she had ever heard from anyone. I mean, can you take a guess? So the two of them are sitting there and she had just opened up about how she didn't want to have kids. Mm -hmm. And he said, why not? (laughs) He said, yeah, why not? Well, my brother is sick and I don't want to bring another person into this world because I have to take care of my brother. And I just can't have another person that needs my undivided attention. My brother is my top priority. I thought she doesn't like the brother. Oh, yeah. Just you wait. Okay. Well, you need to have a sick kid then. What? What? So that's what he said to her. And she said, what? 
Well, you know, children help you clean up your act. You get more responsible from that. So this was the most loving conversation that she will always remember. From that day on, she said she knew that Nelson loved her. She knew it because only someone who loved her would say something like that. Like what? That you need to have a kid, a sick kid that would wish your future child to be ill. (laughs) (laughs) This whole thing is so bizarre, okay? Now, what she didn't know quite yet at that time while she's dreaming up their lives together is the fact that Nelson was in a long-term relationship. Yes, Nelson was in a relationship with a woman by the name of Anna Lisa Raimundo. They had met a year prior to him meeting Sheila, which was in 2001. So he had met Anna Lisa in 2000. At happy hour at the same freaking bar that he met Sheila. Annalisa, by the way, she was born in New York, grew up in Michigan. She was Filipino. The book describes her as having dark hair, shiny skin and eyes to match. I don't know what that means. All right. Everyone loved her. She was sweet, always cheerful. She spent a lot of time volunteering at soup kitchens for women. I mean, this girl had it all. She graduated from Harvard and Columbia. She was beautiful inside and out and smart. Her friends said that there were two Annas. You had the extroverted Anna, the one that would go out with friends. And if she did, she was the mom of the group. She'd be like, do you need a hair tie? She would chase people down, drink your water. <laughs> she would she would make sure everyone got home safely. Then there was the introverted Anna, the one who liked to stay home and knit. She loved knitting because it gave her time to reflect on her life. What is she reflecting? <laughs> on how awesome she is, honestly, because if I have time to reflect on my life, I would be in tears. <laughs> so she was physically active, in great shape. She loved playing tennis at a local sports club. She loved skiing. She was a certified scuba diver. <laughs> like, I mean, at this point, you're thinking she's pretty perfect. She's living that girl life. You know, the ones that get up at 7 a.m., they make their little smoothies before work, and then they work out every single day after work. And you're like, what? I just know you smell good. Like, I just know you smell like fresh laundry and roses. I don't know. It's just a vibe. And Anna was so sweet. People wanted to be around her. And everyone could see she was like the perfect package. And because of that, she ends up getting an executive level position by the time that she's only 25 years old. <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> this can't be real. No, it's real. It's This whole thing is going to sound like a movie because the crime gets bizarre. But just even the people involved, it's so crazy. Yeah, she gets an executive level position at 25 years old. She had originally started at Purdue Pharma, the same company, but she would transfer to another company called Pharmacia eventually. So Anna was the Associate Director of Global Health Outcomes and Applied Outcomes Research. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) I'm too dumb to even know what that would entail. Like, what's her job description? Read read the title one more time. Listen, I can't even. Associate Director of Global Health Outcomes and Applied Outcomes Research. So she has these big dreams. She wants to be a CEO one day. Now, Nelson would later claim that he was in an open relationship with Anna. He was testing the waters with Sheila just to see if the grass was greener on the other side or if he should fully commit to someone like Anna. This, I tell you, is not true. Because Anna is just not really someone who wanted to have that type of setup in a relationship. She wanted to be in a monogamous relationship. She wanted to get married, have a family, have kids. She didn't want him to be sleeping around with other pharmaceutical reps. Like, none of this is making sense. And on top of that, Nelson had practically moved in with her. He would spend a good five to seven days at her condo because he had a place with three other roommates. 
but she's an executive position okay she has her own condo it was probably nicer too well decorated she probably had lots of good hand soap around and anna just felt like well we don't have the perfect relationship but she came from this catholic background and she felt she felt it in her soul that he was going to propose soon anna thinks yeah okay but Nelson's over here sleeping with Sheila. Are you seeing how this is potentially a giant recipe for a disaster? Because I'm seeing it. Eventually, about a year into his affair with Sheila, Nelson wants to bring things off. He's like, listen, Sheila, I'm starting. I know it's been like a full year of us having crazy wild sex, but I'm starting to feel guilty. I don't know. I just like woke up with a conscience today. So I don't really want to upset you, you see. But I think we should just kind of stop having sex. Now you're thinking, wow, Nelson's really sweet. He's growing up. I mean, better now than never, right? No, Nelson was really upset. His relationship with Sheila was dying down because nowadays she would call him and say, Nelson, do you want to come over? And when he did, they would just walk her dogs together. They wouldn't even have sex. What's the point? Sometimes she would ask him to dog sit for her. And he would go on over there, watch the dogs. And when she came back, no sex. Are you kidding? No sex. I got to break up with you. Okay. So he decides it's not his jam anymore. It's time to be a good boyfriend. Dedicate himself to Anna. But he wants to let Sheila down easily because they work together. So maybe maybe I shouldn't just break up with her. Maybe I should introduce her to someone that she might get along better with. Set her up on a little date. So one of his good friends happened to be coming into town to watch the Yankees game with him. So he calls up Sheila. Hey. I'm my friend. We're going to the Yankees game. Do you want to come? Yeah, I mean, that sounds great. So she ends up going and uh, Sheila, sure enough, is super interested in Nelson's friend. Just nonstop flirting with him all over him, throwing herself on him. And Nelson's friend was not that into her. I mean, it was just a really bizarre setup. Was Sheila trying to make him jealous or... It seems, but she also seemed like a, she was interested. Okay. Yeah, for sure. She was like, you know what? He's pretty cute. Sheila would email this friend nonstop about how she wanted them to go whitewater rafting together, maybe potentially a soccer game. And Nelson's friend was getting so fed up. He would call up Nelson. Dude, your friend keeps emailing me. Can you tell her I'm not interested? Can you let her know? I mean, this is really weird. I met her like once, dude. What's going on? What's wrong with her? So once Nelson told her, hey, uh, I think you should lay off. I know that I try to set you guys up, but he's not interested. Sheila came straight back to Nelson and he keeps trying to break things off with her. But she would find a way to weasel her way back into his life. He just didn't get it. I mean, they were never serious. We never really talked. Sure, you told me about your brother, but I never talked to you about my life. I never introduced you to anyone other than that friend at the Yankees game. We literally just had sex. I mean, how do you not get it, Sheila? We're not having sex anymore. But it's clear that Sheila always thought it was more than that. I mean, she would end all of her love letters with Nelson, which she wrote a ton of love letters, okay, in 2001. Love always, Sheila. She just always thought that he loved her. With that child advice? Sheila doesn't know he has a girlfriend. She does know. Oh. It was very tough for her to accept that their relationship was over. It just didn't make sense to her. She kept thinking, what did I do wrong? She starts spiraling at work with depression. She stopped responding to emails, basically stopped working in general. I mean, she was extremely depressed. She felt hopeless, alone. She had dealt with depression before, but she said this was something else. This was a different demon. I mean, she felt like she had hit absolute rock bottom. The only way that she felt better was when she she abused her access at work to steal Valium and other sedatives to take home. Her favorite was called a... 
gonna say it so wrong it's a drug that is considered hospital heroin like it's that strong of a drug so she would mix this with her vicodin that was prescribed to her by doctors she most of the drugs she were taking were opioids which are highly addictive very dangerous i mean super dangerous and sheila was taking them regularly she claimed that she was taking close to 15 to 20 pills a day if that wasn't enough she would throw in a xanax and a valium in here and there i mean just Whatever, let's do it. She claimed at her house she had an entire pharmacy of some of the most dangerous prescription drugs and she was taking full creative liberty on how she was going to take them. She did embarrassing things, you know, was it the drugs? Was it the heartbreak? We don't know. But she would write these letters to Nelson asking him, why did you run away from me? Without any reason, without any warning, it's like I was a hunter and you were a scared deer. Just running away, galloping away in a forest of lost dreams. Like shit like that, okay? When there was no response to these letters, she started writing very dramatic goodbye letters to him for closure. Okay, I'm laughing and you'll find out why later. She wrote to him about how her soul was transforming after the breakup and was transforming into a blizzard of cries. Her broken heart has now become a torrent of tears. She just didn't understand. How, Nelson, how? How is there no closure? No final words. How can you just vanish without any explanation? No closure. You just tossed me like trash. I'm confused. I'm angry. How can you just do that? Throw people away when you don't find use for them anymore? You were more than a lover to me. You were more than a partner. To me, you were the brother I never had. Now, this is a little strange because she has a brother. And like, who sleeps with their brother? It's just bizarre. This whole thing is weird. But she meant it as she felt that her brother had been lost to mental illness, which like, what the fork? He's not dead. He's just going through some stuff. Okay, I just the way that she talks about her mentally ill brother is very alarming. She could never talk to her brother or hang out with him. And Nelson had filled this void. But in the same breath, in the same letter, she complained that Nelson only ever wanted to have sex with her. So it's a little weird. This whole analogy of the brother thing is bizarre. So Sheila does one thing that's kind of smart. She starts seeing a therapist by the name of Fran Laurie. Now, she's trying to mourn her breakup, address her depression, and Fran is all ears, of course. I mean, she's a therapist. She wants to help. So Sheila starts opening up about how vulnerable she feels. Most of her day-to-day conversations were about Nelson. I mean, understandably, they had just broken up. Fine. Makes sense. But she would oddly sprinkle in some lies. So she tells her therapist that Nelson would occasionally email her and send her text messages, which would make her anxious. Do I open them? Do I not look at them? I don't know. I just keep waiting for the next one and I just want closure. This is a lie. Nelson never reached out since the breakup. Sheila would break down into tears and Fran would ask her, tell me, what's the most painful? His positive qualities. I mean, that's what I'll miss the most. His sense of humor, the rapport that we had, the fact that he understood and liked my poetry. I mean, I just really want to be with him. He's the only person that I ever felt comfortable enough with to share my poems with. I've never shared them with my friends or my family because it represents like a like a deeper part of me, my creativity, my innermost thoughts, my feelings. And I read them to him. But she wasn't telling Fran everything. Like, it sounds like she's opening up to her therapist, right? About these poems, about how much she loves Nelson. But she's not telling Fran about all the dirty things that she did that might kind of spark the red flags in a therapist. So, for example, Sheila had spied on Nelson's voicemails at work. So they work at the same company. And usually when you start working at Purdue Pharmacy, you get your own extension. You get your own voicemail. And the default password is 123. 
Now you have the chance to change it. But like a lot of the employees are like, this is work. You know, it doesn't really matter if one of my coworkers listens. Who's going to even, who cares about my voicemails? So they leave it as one, two, three. Sheila would sneak into his office and type in his voicemail code to listen to any and all voicemails that he had. Primarily, she was looking for voicemails from Anna Lisa. When Sheila found out that Nelson was flying out of state one day, she somehow learns of his seat ticket and his seat number, books the seat right next to him on the same flight, but not to be suspicious because what are the odds? No, really, what are the odds? Do you know how hard it is to even get two seats together when you're booking at the same time? Do you know how many flights we've had where we weren't even sitting next to each other because the plane was full? What are the odds? She bumps into him. Oh my God, Nellie Nels, what are you doing here? Is that you? This is crazy, insane. I mean, it must be destiny. Look at us. I can't believe we even have the seats next to each other. Yeah, yeah. I- I'm going to Texas too. What for? It's it's actually a layover. I'm going to California. You're going to Texas? What are you doing in Texas? Do you mind if I move the arm handle up? <laughs> I like a free-flowing armchair, a love seat, if you will. I mean, the whole thing is obviously bizarre. So Sheila starts slowly becoming more and more unhinged. But to her therapist, she keeps telling Fran that she's making great progress. I mean, Nelson's reaching out to me. He's making it super hard for me to move on. But now, now I'm even ignoring his calls. Aren't you proud of me, Fran? But Fran, the therapist, I mean, she's smart. She didn't know that Sheila was lying to her per se, but she could tell that Sheila was obsessed with Nelson. That's all she talked about. Day in, day out. That's what she was spending her therapy money on. Nelson. Session after session. So she asks, Sheila, have you ever had a serious relationship before? Maybe this is your first one. That would explain the obsessiveness. Have you ever had a relationship before Nelson? Well, yeah, my first relationship was with a guy seven years older than me. I was barely 18 years old. He wanted to get married and have kids. So we broke up. Anything after that? Yeah, I mean, I dated this other guy once, but I mean, nothing that serious. Anyway, Nelson had called me the other day and she goes on to her little spiel. Now she starts ranting. This is what bothers me. And I I don't know. I probably mentioned it before, but Nelson has this history of cheating on his girlfriends. I'm not the first person that he's cheated on. And I wasn't the first person that he dated, which personally was upsetting. But I get it. He's a guy. But I I don't know. I just don't know what to think about it. I'm just kind of upset. Sheila, I think it might be helpful to talk to some of your friends about it. Have you tried? Maybe it helps you move on. Try not to isolate yourself at this time. Oh, I can't. I mean, when I tell people at work, they all call me obsessive. Besides, therapist, no need to worry about me. I'm going to North Carolina for three days. For work. Yeah, I'm managing some clinical trials down there. It's going to be fun. Now, she doesn't see the therapist Fran for a while because she does indeed go to North Carolina. She had volunteered for a work project there. The same one that you guessed it, Nelson was part of. That wasn't even really part of her job. Nelson was so shocked to see her. He's like, whoa, what are you doing here? We're in the same work group, Nelson. That's what I'm doing here. The whole thing with Fran confuses me because she's spending her money seeing Fran, but she's not being honest. The whole time she's lying to Fran, it seems like it's kind of like this effort to make herself feel better, to live this version of events where Nelson is reaching out to her. It's a normal breakup. They were in love, but it just didn't end up working out. And the reality of it is that she was just obsessed. 
right? But maybe she doesn't want to face that. So she's trying to live this role. Maybe she's trying to get some sort of validation. I have no idea. Because if you were to ever tell Sheila that she had an unhealthy obsession with Nelson, she would adamantly disagree. She would say things like, you just don't know our relationship like that. I wouldn't use the word obsessed because I don't think I'm obsessed. I never thought I was obsessed. In fact, I got tired of him all the time. Sometimes if I spent a whole day with him, I was so sick of him. He was unorganized, very all over the place. I got tired of him all the time. How am I obsessed? Besides, I'm happily married, remember? What? Sheila is married. This whole time, Sheila has been married. What in the world? Listen, you don't even know. You don't even know, okay? So Sheila is allegedly happily married to a guy by the name of Paul. You're thinking, what? Yes, Sheila is married to a man named Paul. Sheila had met Paul in college through a study group, and Paul was very intrigued by Sheila, said that she was a very pretty girl, very impressionable, also kind of sheltered. She didn't have the kind of exposure that a normal kind of college kid would have. She was outgoing, wrote a lot, spoke multiple languages. She's beautiful, which they're not to love. So at first, they just start off as friends, till one day, Sheila decided there was just too much chemistry in their chemistry class. She couldn't take it anymore. She had to make out with him. So they They start making out. They start kissing. And from that point forward, they start dating. Now, looking back, Paul said that there were some glimpses of a personality that Sheila seemed to be hiding. Anytime that he wanted to talk to her about something deeper, she would always tell him, I have a dark family secret. And ultimately, it's the type of secret that will break us up. We will never stay together. I mean, who just drops that kind of bomb? So he's he's confused. Wait, what? What What are you talking about? What's the secret? Trust me, Paul, it's a deep, dark family secret. Well, what is it? You have to tell me. I can never tell you. And eventually they start breaking up because of it. And Sheila is the one that initiates the breakup. She would say things like, listen, I'd rather end it now before the secret gets out. And Paul is just so confused by all of this. But while they're broken up, it was like star-crossed lovers. She would go back and say, I can't stand to be away from you. But this secret, my God, I don't know what to do with this secret. So, of course, they end up getting back together and Paul's trying to weasel this alleged secret out of her. What is it? Are you married or something? No, no, no. It's not that. You're part of some sort of religious cult or something? Sorry, Paul. I cannot tell you. So he's still trying to make this relationship work, even when he moves to New York City and Sheila is living upstate New York with her family because he has to move for work and college. And that's when the secret starts coming up again. Sheila didn't want him to call the family house. She would say things like, don't ever think about visiting. Don't even call the landline. Don't ever. I don't ever want you to meet my family because of my family secret. So one time he tried calling just because, I don't know, he's like, she can't be serious. What the heck? Let me just call. Hello? Um, is Sheila home? I'm looking for Sheila. It was Sheila's mom that picked up. No, she hung up. Okay, that's weird. Now, this went on for a while, and Paul keeps calling. And eventually, Sheila's mom was so fed up, she screamed through the phone, Why do you keep calling here? You're destroying two families. What? That's what he said, but she had already hung up. Okay, maybe it's a cultural difference. That's kind of what Paul thought. You know, Paul is American. He's white. So he's thinking maybe maybe they want her to marry someone Middle Eastern. Maybe they want her to marry someone who's Muslim. And I'm not any of those things. But Sheila kept telling him that's not the case. That's not the case. That's not the secret. Weird. (laughs) 
So one weekend, Sheila tells Paul, "I'm going to New Jersey. I'm going to visit my grandparents." See, that's the thing about Sheila that Paul loved so much. She was so kind. She had great values. Loved her family. So she went to go see her grandparents a lot. But this weekend, when Sheila's gone, Paul's phone rings. Hello. Hi. Yes. Um. I'm Sheila's husband. You're seeing my wife, aren't you? Wait. She had a husband. Yes. <laughs> oh wait. So Paul was her second yeah, husband. Yes. Oh my god. So he's like, "What? What are you saying? Who is this?" The man explained that he's Sheila's husband. Remember that guy Adam that she met on vacation abroad? Well, she married Adam, <sighs> and Adam lives in New York City. And he said, "I want to meet up with you at the Lincoln Center in the city to talk to you about this." And Paul's thinking, "Is this a prank?" No, 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 no! It's not. I'm Sheila's husband, and I would like you to meet me in the city. Now, Paul's thinking, "Okay, let's do it. I'm gonna show up. Maybe nobody else is gonna come because it's some sort of weird prank, or I can call this person's bluff. That would be the end of it. This has got to be a joke." So he goes to the cafe and sitting around, he's waiting for Sheila's alleged husband. I mean, it's laughable. But right in that moment, Paul sees a nicely dressed Middle Eastern man show up and introduces himself as Adam. This is a fake name. Sheila's husband. Now he looked old. He was balding, but he was only about to turn thirty years old. Oddly enough, Sheila's husband wasn't angry. He wasn't upset. He was calm. Well, we've been having some problems lately. We're we're separated. She moved into her parents for work. We're trying to work things out. Paul still doesn't believe him. I mean, I I still don't believe you. No offense. Maybe you're some sort of like crazy ex. How would I know? Let me just talk to Sheila when she gets back. Where do you think Sheila is right now? At her grandparents in New Jersey. Oh no, no, Paul, <laughs> you idiot! She's at her apartment in the city right now. Look, Sheila is a very emotional person. For instance, she had once seen a bird on the side of the road with a broken wing, and she went out of her way to help this bird. But Sheila is also very troubled, and I want to make sure she's safe, and I'm going to work things out with her. Listen, dude. You just called me out of nowhere. I don't even know you. I don't believe you. I've been dating Sheila for like a year, like years now. Okay. Well, Paul, why don't you come with me? I will get us a cab, and you can see her car outside of our apartment building, right around the corner. I mean, at first, Paul hesitated because what if this guy just wants to beat him up? But he was kind of curious. He had to know, so he gets into the cab, and sure enough, Sheila's car is outside the apartment building. Adam, I want to talk to her. Yes, yes, of course. I thought you would. So her husband didn't want Paul going up to talk to Sheila, but he had the concierge call Sheila and handed the phone to Paul, and she confessed everything. She was super clear. She did not backtrack, come up with excuses. She said, "Yes, this is the secret that I've been hiding from you all along. I had lied to you," and they hang up. Paul is devastated. This guy feels like he—he's the world's biggest idiot. He's ashamed. He's embarrassed. He's hurt. He calls a cab and he goes back to work. And he's sitting at his desk, moping. He can barely focus. And his phone rings. It's Sheila. What do you want? Listen, Paul. I want to explain. Let's meet for coffee in the city. Why? I want to explain. Now Paul probably did need the closure, so he agreed. They meet up near his office, and Sheila looked relieved. She almost looked lighter. Yes, Paul, this is the big secret. I'm married, but you have to understand. I'm so unhappy. He's older. I can't relate to him or his friends. He's almost thirty, and I'm only twenty-two. We got married when I was eighteen years old. It's more like having a roommate than a friend. There's no bond. It was an arranged marriage. 
Both of our parents are so strict, traditional. This is what they believe needed to happen. Now, Paul believed this. He had no reason not to. He did later confront Sheila's parents for this arranged marriage, and he just felt like, hey, that's not, you shouldn't be doing that. And they were shocked. What are you talking about? We were the ones that told Sheila not to marry him. We hated him. Jeez Louise. But at this point, Paul didn't know that yet. So he decides to be the hero. He's going to stick around, stay with Sheila, help her get her out of this marriage. She was trapped. She needed to be saved. And obviously, she was in love with Paul. Sheila had told him, I'm so thankful that you're going to stay with me because meeting you gave my life purpose again. You helped me break out of my shell. It's something my husband could never do because he's old. It really seemed to bother Sheila that she was in a loveless marriage. Yeah, that makes sense. But more so that she was married to an old guy and couldn't be a single girl in New York City. Like that's where she had the most problems. I mean, the whole thing is strange. So eventually Sheila gets the courage, leaves her husband, gets all of her things from his place and rents a small basement apartment in upstate New York. And she was depressed. She kept crying, Paul, I think I destroyed his life. Adam will never remarry again. He will never be able to have children now. I'm horrible. I broke his heart. He was so nice. He didn't deserve this. And I just had to divorce him because of you. Okay, Sheila was very considerate of her husband. I mean, I wonder where this consideration was when Sheila had tried to kill her first husband. <laughs> what in the world is going Let on? Let me explain. One night in their marriage, Sheila noticed that her husband had fallen asleep. Maybe this is the perfect time, she had thought to herself. She turned on every gas burner in the apartment and left. Now, Adam had woken up because he smelled the gas, realized that every burner on the stove is on. I mean, that's weird. That's not like a manufacturing defect. That's not a that's not a contractor defect. Who turned on the stove? You know, that's the question. So he asked Sheila, why did you do this? Nobody else lives with us. And she said, well, I'm depressed. And they both just moved on. She also lied to Paul because she's not the one that divorced Adam. Adam was the one to file for divorce and sue her. But what is, why does Paul need to know that? He doesn't need to know. So Paul stays excited to start his life with Sheila, but she didn't feel the same. She couldn't get out of bed. She was so depressed. She couldn't stop talking about how she ruined her husband's life. She felt so bad. Paul would let her cry on his shoulder, thought that this whole thing was a phase. She'll get over it. I mean, it's a breakup. And just like that, she came out of it. Their relationship was back on track better than ever, actually. Paul was even introduced to Sheila's parents. They spent Christmas with her parents, his parents. Sheila met Paul's parents. They all loved each other. They were talking about getting engaged. Both families were supportive. Sheila would write these beautiful poems for Paul about the love that they shared. Yes, she lied to Fran, her therapist, about only showing Nelson her poems, but... I guess that's not really important anymore. And then Sheila gets a job at a new company. Now, it wasn't in the city, but Paul was happy because Sheila's happy. He admired her. She had a crazy work ethic. So it almost seemed like she got off on this cutthroat environment at the office. She would come home every night excitedly telling Paul, oh, you'll never guess what happened. All the coworker drama and then who caused who to get demoted. Oh, this person was fired. Can you believe it? She loved it. So anyways, they get engaged. They're planning their wedding for 2000. Not people, the year. <laughs> Sheila comes home from work one day and she says, hey, Paul, I think I'm going to go on a trip with my friend. Just a little tour of France. I think it'll be fun. He's thinking, yeah, I mean, we're going to get married soon. I guess it's going to be harder for you to have these girls trips. So go on, have fun. She's gone for about 10 days. And as soon as she gets back, she's not the same. 
She's back to being depressed. She's closed off, doesn't want to talk to him. Something was wrong. It was like she transformed into a different person. What's wrong? She started having second thoughts about their engagement. Well, it would be years, but Paul would find out that Sheila had fallen in love with a French man in 10 days, had slept with him, and couldn't stop daydreaming about her life if she were to move to France and marry this guy that she had like a one-night stand with. But eventually the phase passed, and she accepted Paul again, and the wedding was on. Things were starting to get back to normal, and one night they're having a conversation when Paul mentions that his parents know that she was divorced. And she stops in her tracks drops everything, starts screaming, you betrayed me. I cannot believe you did this. She got, quote, hysterical. Listen, I hate that word referring to women, but I mean, she did kind of get hysterical. She was crying, screaming incoherently. She locked herself in the bathroom, just sobbing. How could you betray me like this, Paul? I trusted you. Then she would just come out and act like nothing happened. When she found out that Paul had told his parents that she had a mentally ill brother. I mean, these are all things that is going to come out when you get married. You should probably tell the families if you're close with them. And she locked herself in the bathroom and talked about how he betrayed her. She was humiliated, embarrassed to the core, all because of you, Paul. And honestly, Paul meant well. He always wanted to help Sheila since, I mean, it just seemed like she was always stressed out about her brother. So she, he would say things like, tell me, I want to be there for you. I want to be there for my future brother-in-law. This guy's so sweet. Which, by the way, Sheila's brother didn't even know Paul existed. Paul was confused. Sheila told him that the brother was doing well till he went to college and then had a major mental breakdown. And that was about it. Like, it was so vague. Sheila kept talking to him like he was dying. So that was kind of weird. Paul's like, why are you talking to him like this? He's alive. You can just hang out with him. What's going on? Why would you treat anyone like that with mental illness? Because they have a mental illness, really? It's weird. So finally, after six years of dating, in May of 2000, Paul and Sheila get married. It was a small, intimate wedding. A small, intimate wedding where Sheila had invited all of her coworkers to her small, intimate wedding that even her brother didn't attend. What? So it was supposed to be like literally just immediate family, but she had invited a ton of coworkers. Okay. It's just weird where her priorities are. I mean, I guess we're coworkers on this podcast. Are you coming to my wedding? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just think the coworkers are the last people I'd be inviting to a small intimate wedding. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe a big wedding. Sheila's brother didn't attend and she told everyone, we got to pray for him. He has a stomach flu. So they're officially married and they move to Pleasantville, New York. What a town name. This is where Sheila's parents live. Pleasantville is known to be a smaller town, but a very wealthy area. Perfect for these two highly educated young people with these nice corporate jobs climbing the ladder. It made sense. Paul even applied to get his PhD at Columbia. He got in. Sheila was working her way up in Purdue Pharmaceuticals. She was even eyeing a raise and a promotion soon. But that would mean relocating to Stanford, Connecticut, which is fine. You know, they're doing well. They're killing it, if you will. But if the only downside of this is that these types of careers, they barely had time for each other. Paul worked in the city. Sheila would come home after work and she liked her alone time. She liked to read a book, browse the internet, and she would fall asleep around 9 p.m. By the time Paul gets home, she's knocked out. I mean, they can still make it work though, right? Mm -hmm. But there were some other alarming things. Sheila loved to freak out at Paul over nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean it. She would freak out if he went to go buy groceries and God forbid, he came back with the wrong brand of salsa. It was game over. 
She would start screaming, what the hell did you do? It's wrong. It's wrong. And she would lock herself in the bathroom and would not come out for a while. But right when that bathroom door clicked open and she walked out, she was a completely different person. I'm so sorry, Paul. You know I didn't mean any of that, right? I'm so sorry. With all of that and work, the two start drifting apart. They start spending less time together, not putting in the effort. Sheila was getting distracted by work and other things and other interests, if you get what I'm throwing down. If you had gotten both of them in a room, like modern family style, Paul would say, well, we're living separate lives because of work and school, but we're still close. We're still pretty happy. Sheila would say, I'm bored. Just need more fun in my life. And she found it with a guy named Nelson Sussler. So Sheila slowly starts spending all her free time with Nelson. And the only thing that she bonded with Paul on is when they got a dog. One day she comes home. Literally, they had just gotten this dog. And she says, I want another one. Please, can we get another one? Um, okay. What, what kind of dog do you want? It has to be a Boston Terrier this time. What? That's so random. You, do you even like Boston Terriers? I didn't even know that you knew Boston Terriers. You don't even know me, Paul. The betrayal. Well, guess what? This was Nelson's favorite breed of dog, okay? So suddenly, she had to have a Boston Terrier. So by November of 2001, Paul and Sheila are both over their marriage. Then out of nowhere, Sheila pulls him to the side and says, I want my brother to come and visit. What? I get to meet your brother? Finally? After like seven years of dating? Yeah. But he doesn't know that we're married, you know? Oh, okay. I mean... That made Paul still hopeful. He's, she's opening up. She wants this to work. But Paul, my brother has to get used to the space first. So can you go stay with your parents or get a hotel? Um, yeah, yeah, of course. But you have to get rid of all of our wedding pictures, remember? He doesn't know we're married. I don't want to freak him out. I don't want to overwhelm him. What? You should hide all your clothes, too. The smallest thing can trigger my brother. I'm telling you, you don't know my brother like I do. Don't forget your toothbrush, your body wash. Oh, your razor. Hey, that sock. Don't forget your printer. I mean, I want it to look like you don't live here. Otherwise, he's going to freak out. Don't worry, Paul. It's only going to happen a few times a month. So Paul was hurt by this. I mean, he wanted Sheila to connect with her brother. But at the same time, he kept asking her, please, please, can you promise me that you're going to tell him about us? Please. Yeah, I will, Paul. When the time is right, I will. Sometimes Paul would come back to the house and he would find odd things like two glasses of wine that were empty in the sink, a pair of men's underwear, so, of course, he had his suspicions that she was being unfaithful, but he didn't want to confront the thought. Or maybe he was just really busy. And then there was another alarming thing. Sheila and Paul were going to refinance their condo. A lot of people do it. It's not alarming. It's not saying like they're in financial ruins or anything like that. They just were trying to refinance their condo. But what Paul didn't know because he trusted Sheila and did not read the paperwork is that she had accumulated a crap ton of credit card debt. I'm talking like $50,000 worth of credit card debt on clothes. I mean, she really liked the finer things in life on bags, on shoes. And when they refinanced it, Sheila had the bank packaged up a huge portion of her credit card debt into the refinancing so they were paying it off together and he didn't even know he thought that he was just helping pay the mortgage like a loving husband okay that's fine that's fine well it's not but he didn't even know it at the time so they're still trying to make things work in their marriage and then during dinner one night sheila brings up so there's a love triangle going on at my workplace the woman's name is Melissa. She's a friend of mine. She's been a work friend of mine. And she's having an affair with this guy named Jack. And he's in a relationship with another woman named Annalisa. Oh, my God. 
Melissa knows that Jack is involved with Annalisa. I don't think Annalisa knows that Jack is seeing Melissa, but what do you think Melissa should do? Uh, Sheila, I don't really know. I think that Paul was trying to be interested in her story, but he doesn't even know these people. Mm-hmm. It's just weird. I, I don't really know. No, but I want to know. What do you think Melissa should do? And for months, all Sheila would talk about was this dang love triangle at work. She also described in depth and detail all the steamy sex that Melissa and Jack were having, how they would sneak off to fork each other, how, I mean, you would think that she's just straight up reading her husband Fifty Shades of Grey. It was that intense. She would say things like, Paul, I think Melissa's obsessed with Jack. She just like can't get enough of him. But she's also really upset that he's still seeing Annalisa. Why would Jack want to see two women? What do you think he's getting out of it, Paul? Like, as a guy, why would he want to see two girls? Paul had no suspicion? No. <sighs> Sheila, I don't know. I don't even know Jack. I have no idea why someone wanted to see two women. Well, why does Jack like one more than the other? I don't know. I don't know, Jack. Why do you even care, Sheila? Well, Melissa and Jack have sex all the time. Why, do, why does Melissa keep telling you about her sex life? Like, isn't that some sort of HR violation? Why, are you, why do you care so much? Oh, Paul, we've been dating for, what, 10 years? We're boring. Anyways, Melissa was able to get a hold of Jack's work voicemail. She listens to it daily. She tracks them. Sheila, I don't think you should be friends with this woman. I mean, this sounds toxic, dangerous, and probably illegal. She's going to get fired or something. Okay, anyway, Melissa sent me Annalisa's voicemail to Jack and she wants to know, does it sound like they're happy? Does it sound like they're like in love? This is weird, Sheila. Okay, now this is where I think Paul didn't know because, I mean, most people do gossip with their significant other. So I think he just like really trusted her. It's a little bit bizarre, like this whole voicemail thing is getting bizarre. But like, you know, you would talk to your husband about office relationships, wouldn't you? Am I the only town gossip here? (laughs) So he just wasn't alarmed. He's like, oh, what? Why does she have the voicemails? Okay, I mean, I guess I'll listen. And the whole voicemail was just this. Hey, honey, it's Annalisa. Was wondering when you're coming over for dinner. Okay, bye. That's it, Sheila? What do you you want me to know? Her voice. What do you think of it? I, I don't know. I don't know why you care so much. At this point, Paul is still understanding it's juicy work drama. He gets it, no big deal. But Paul starts getting concerned when she starts bringing it up in front of his parents, in front of his family. So she would go meet Paul's parents and she would keep asking them, what do you think Melissa should do? Okay, this is weird. And it wasn't like a conversation starter. It's not like she was just trying to fill the silence. Like she was obsessed. It's all she would talk about. If you were talking about something important, she would disrupt you and ask, what do you think Melissa should do? Now, as you know, there is no Melissa. Melissa is Sheila. Jack is Nelson and Annalisa is, well, Annalisa. And her brother was not coming to the condo at all. Not even once. It was always Nelson whom she got a kick out of having sex with in her married home while her husband was out, trusting his wife, thinking that his wife is connecting with her younger brother. Sometimes, Sheila would sleep for 12 hours at a time, and Paul would think, man, those long days at work, she must be exhausted. Oh no, should I be worried? Maybe she's getting depressed again. But in reality, she was busy going skiing, traveling to Boston, having tons of steamy sex, allegedly steamy, with Nelson. Nelson this whole time thought that Sheila was divorced. Not that he cared, okay? But that's just what he thought. 
Once when Paul went to go visit her at work, she gave him a grand tour of her desk and then hurriedly took him to another empty desk. No one was sitting there. This is Melissa's desk. She picked up the framed picture of three random women and pointed at the middle one. That's Melissa. Follow me. Took him to Nelson's desk where there was a picture of Annalisa. That's Annalisa. Do you think she's pretty? Uh, sure. Do you want to know how Melissa and Jack met? Okay, so while they were leaving the bar after happy hour one night, going to their cars, Melissa ran up to Jack and just kissed him. This is the true story of how Sheila and Nelson met, by the way. Okay, and then what? Melissa was so embarrassed, but Jack said he was okay with it. And they started going on these dates and one thing led to another. And it wasn't until Melissa stumbled across Jack's voicemail at work that she found out about Annalisa, which is true. This is exactly how Sheila found out about Annalisa. Paul, I think that Jack feels trapped by Annalisa and he doesn't really want to commit to her, but Anna keeps pressuring him. How do you think Anna sounds like as a person? Do you think she's nice? I don't, I don't know, Sheila. Anyway, did you know that Jack has trouble ejaculating? Yeah, okay, so Sheila would go in depth on these sex life stories. She would tell him about his favorite positions, Jack's favorite positions in bed. I mean, literally Paul, Paul knew. Yes, so think about this it in so hindsight. Weird. She's telling him about the person that she's cheating on him with. Yeah. She would say things like, Melissa loves it when Jack plays the guitar for her. Isn't that so sweet? He plays the guitar for her. So sick and twisted. The crazy thing is, if you think Sheila's behavior is bizarre and alarming now, just you wait. It's about to get worse. Let's talk about the murder of Annalisa. Sheila's holding on to dear life, trying to keep her relationship with Nelson alive. Now, the same thing cannot be said about Nelson. He literally never thought about her again. He was practically living with Annalisa. They were getting closer, happier together. They even started talking about getting engaged soon. Meanwhile, Sheila asked Paul, Can I borrow your night vision goggles? You're thinking, why does he have night vision goggles? What's going on? So Paul had an obsession with X-Files and he ordered these night vision goggles. So he'd go out with his friends into the middle of the woods and they would look for UFOs. Hmm. That was like his little hobby. Instead of fishing, he's looking for UFOs. Must be rewarding, huh? <laughs> Can you imagine some guys just with some giant goggles on staring at the sky? <laughs> I'm not saying UFOs don't exist, but just the sight of that would be pretty comical. Well, why do you need them, Sheila? Melissa wants to spy on Jack. So get this. Jack never told Melissa that he has a girlfriend. So Melissa needs to get proof to confront him. And the only proof so far are the voicemails. And whenever Melissa asks Jack about it, he denies it. So she wants to spy on him, see where he's going, and I want to help her. But we need the night vision goggles. Oh, so like a stakeout. Again, I think at this point, it's like, it's alarming. But I think we've all had those toxic friends. No, I'm... Listen, I'm trying to give Paul the benefit of the doubt because this is very alarming stuff. So he's like, oh, like a stakeout? Yeah, duh, that's just what I said. So can I have him? And he gives her the night vision goggles. Go ahead. I don't care. Let me go grab them. They work really good. You can see in the dark. So she starts getting excited. And he's like, but Sheila, be careful. Jack is obviously not a nice guy. He's seeing these two women. He's doing this. I mean, he's a bit of a jackass from what I can tell. Yeah, yeah. And just like that, she skippity dippities out the door to go spy on Jack. But it wasn't a one-time thing. No, no, no. It was not. Sheila went with Melissa, herself, by herself, to spy on Jack for weeks. She would even come home and talk about how she was almost caught. She was so worried. She would say, come with me, come with me, Paul. Okay, you stand here, and I'm going to sit in the car right here. Can you see me from there? Like this distance. Can you see me in the dark? I want to know if Jack saw me. 
Can you see me? I don't know, Sheila. It's kind of hard to tell. Well, what if Jack saw me and Melissa? I, I guess he would confront you at work tomorrow with Melissa. I don't, I don't know, okay? Sheila eventually outgrew the spying. But don't worry. It's only because she graduated. She'd say, Paul, guess what? Melissa bought a lockpick set. A what? what? Melissa wants to break into Annalisa's apartment during the day when she's at work. Why on earth would she do that? She wants to get pictures and get a sense of Jack's relationship with Anna. Why is she telling him everything? I don't know. That's honestly crazy, Sheila. You're going to now break into someone's apartment to look at pictures? Sheila, don't you dare go with her. You're, you could get arrested. You could literally lose everything. Sheila didn't listen. She walked to her purse, pulled out the lockpicking set, and proceeded to test it out on their front door. Now, I don't know if this is a cheap set or if maybe Sheila's just not that good at it, but it didn't work, and she was so upset. Paul, don't you have an eavesdropping device in your closet? What? You're like, what's wrong with this couple? Is this like you from Netflix, Joe in Love? Why does Paul have an eavesdropping device in his closet? So when Paul was younger, he wanted to be a private detective or maybe an FBI agent. So he had all of these weird gadgets that he ordered from magazines. From magazines. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a little weird. <laughs> okay. Melissa wants to know if she can borrow it. For what? She wants to put it in Jack's office and listen to his conversations. Now, Paul was either exhausted or Sheila had him in the palm of her hand because now I can't even give him the benefit of the doubt because he just sighed and ended up giving it to her. Okay, a few days later, Sheila returned super upset. It didn't work. So I went out and I bought another one. But that didn't work either. So I'm going to file a complaint with the company. Eventually, she gives up her little Kim Possible spy gear and thinks, but Paul, I was thinking, do you know where I could buy a taser? A what? A lot of girls are getting them for self-defense. Now, around this time, Sheila starts going to therapy, but she doesn't stop talking to Paul about the love triangle. I mean, he's just tuning her out at this point, talking about how Jack isn't spending time with Melissa anymore. He went on vacation with Annalisa. They're spending a lot of time together. Listen, Sheila, why don't you just tell Melissa to confront her? Confront Annalisa, get it out in the open. I mean, they're adults. Like, we're not high schoolers. Confront her? Yeah, I don't know. Just go talk to her about it. Clear the air. And a few weeks later, in November, Paul gets a call from his wife. Hey, Paul, Melissa just called me and she's sitting outside Annalisa's apartment right now in her car. She wants to know if she should go and knock on the door. Oh, my God, you're calling me about this? Yeah, just go knock on the door. Get the affair out in the open. I think at this point, Paul was sick of hearing about this. Just tell Melissa to talk to Annalisa. They're adults. Get it. Just figure it out. So he hangs up. Other than that call, the day had been rather normal. Sheila had gone in for work as usual. She clocked out at 11 a.m. and she didn't get back to work till 2 p.m. Now that's a very long lunch break. What happened in those three hours? We don't know the exact details, but this is what's suspected. Annalisa was having a chill morning, minding her own business. Nelson had slept over, woke up, they had sex, they took a shower before he had to leave for work, you know. Anna works from home a lot, so she's just cleaning up around the house, doing laundry, knitting. She was actually talking to a friend on the phone when the doorbell rang. That's weird. She wasn't expecting anyone. Hey, I need to call you back. Someone's at the door. She goes to answer it, and it was Sheila. 
Now, from here, it's a little strange. Anna potentially knew Sheila because they had worked at the same place. You know, now she's working at the same place as Nelson. Maybe she had heard Sheila's name. Maybe she even suspected that Sheila was having an affair with Nelson. Right. We don't know. But we can speculate that Sheila didn't immediately attack Anna. She might have tried to reason with her because she was she made it inside. She might have said things like, please, can we just talk? Anna probably thought it was ridiculous. Like, what is there to talk about? I just, please get out of my house. I don't really want to talk to Nelson about you. I mean, it's weird. It's speculated that at this point, Sheila pulled out her taser because there were marks on Anna's body later and had tased her down. Now we do know that there was a massive struggle. Sheila pulled out a knife and started stabbing Anna in the face. Oh my God. And in the neck, there was blood everywhere. Sheila saw one of Nelson's dumbbells on the ground. She picked it up and in anger, she smashed it against Anna's head repeatedly, bashing her in the head, stabbing her a few more times. And a later autopsy would show that she had nine stab wounds to her face, neck, head, and there was a forcible stab in her rib cage that punctured her left lung, and that was the cause of death. The wound was so deep that the blade practically went through her chest and came out the other side. Jeez. And it was a big struggle. A ton of Annalisa's fingernails, they were broken. There were extensive defensive wounds. And after, Sheila calmly cleaned up, left Anna's condo, went to a nearby restaurant called The Duchess. And they sell hamburgers and hot dogs but there, by the way. She finds a phone booth that she uses to call 911. What? And she sounds frantic. She's breathing heavily, literally breathing into the phone like, ah. She clears her throat. Hello? Yes. The guy, the guy attacked my neighbor. Yes. Attacked my neighbor. When did this happen, ma'am? I saw the guy go into the apartment at 123 Harbor View. Okay, okay. 126 Harbor. 123. Are you listening to me? 123 Harbor View. Okay, ma'am. And what's your friend's name? I don't know her name. She's my neighbor. She lives in unit 105. Yes, and the guy there, the guy, he attacked her. Okay, ma'am. Can you tell me what the guy looked like? I don't know. I just heard yelling. I heard yelling. And then she hung up. The police immediately rush to the crime scene. They find Anna's body. They find the entire condo turned over. There was blood, glass everywhere. Anna had passed. And immediately, they don't really have suspects. Maybe it is a guy, her boyfriend potentially. So when Nelson gets home from work, they're still at the crime scene and he was confused. He had no idea what was going on. Sir, we need to talk to you for a second. Do you need a glass of water or something? Can we get you anything? No, just tell me what's going on. Listen, Mr. Uh, Sessler, your girlfriend, Annalisa, has been murdered. Now, his reaction was super surprising. I mean, the police were already suspicious of him. This was kind of their only lead. The only motive is the boyfriend, of course. And he says, well, where's her body? What? We just told you your girlfriend has been murdered. Where's her body? Her body's still in the apartment. Well, was it a burglary? Mr. Sussler, answer me. Was it a burglary? We're investigating it right now. Well, was there a burglary? We're not certain. We are, though, going to need your help in this investigation. So can you just please wait in this room before we're ready to take you to the station? And while he's waiting for the police to figure it out, he falls asleep in that room. He falls asleep. Okay, so no points for Nelson there. Once he gets to the interrogation, he only gets weirder. He omits all information that he was cheating on Anna. He never mentions Sheila. There was also a strange incident where he said, do I need a lawyer? And one of the detectives said, I can't really answer that for you. It's a, it's up to you. You know, I can't tell you yes or no. That's a decision you have to make. Then he asked the other detective, do I need a lawyer? And the other one was just straightforward, just handed him his phone, call your lawyer. 
and both of them left the room. When the detectives get back, Nelson said, no, I'm just going to talk to you guys without a lawyer. Oh, did you call one? Who did you just call? I called my work voicemail. I wanted to see if my parents or, you know, Anna's parents or someone else had called. So you don't want a lawyer? No, I understand what you're doing and why you're questioning me, and I, I want to be as helpful as I can. Look, I'll even take a polygraph test if you want. He was helpful enough to provide a full list of all of his ex-girlfriends, minus Sheila. Why does he keep hiding about Sheila? Because, you know, if he's having an affair, then he, there might be motive for him to murder someone. It just doesn't look good. But you say he admitted. No. Oh, he didn't admit. Yeah. Took out all that information. On the day of Anna's murder, Anna's mom, Susan, was driving Anna's grandma, right? Her own mom, home from the hospital in Florida. Not, not even the same state. And suddenly she had this feeling of dread. It was so bad and so intense that out of nowhere, Susan had to pull over and stop driving. And she was bawling uncontrollably. And her mom was like, what's wrong, sweetie? What's wrong? And she says, I don't know, mom. I don't know how to explain it. I just, I just feel like dread. No so way. weird. Is it like menopause? I don't know. So when she gets home with Anna's grandma, she is told by Anna's sister and her husband that Anna had been murdered. That's unreal. Anna's dad said that when he heard the news, he was so overcome with anxiety and pain, he felt like he was having a heart attack. He felt weak. His heart was pounding so hard and so fast. They didn't even have the strength to ID Anna, so her sister had to take on the task. Meanwhile, Sheila, she leaves Anna's place, calls 911, and goes back to work. And she even calls Nelson's voicemail and says, hey, it's me. I just wanted to say, have a good weekend. Okay, oh, bye. No way. Yeah, have a good weekend. The next day, Sheila gets a call from one of her coworkers. Have you heard the news, Sheila? Annalise has been murdered. She conveniently did not tell Paul, her husband, that Annalisa had been murdered or about this, you know, anything about this. Instead, she went about her life as usual. Paul went out to hang out with his coworkers after work one day and other pharmacy workers were there and they had mentioned, hey, did you know that one of the employees there was murdered? They didn't mention a name. Paul was confused and stressed and he just kind of assumed it was Annalisa because no. it's not every day someone gets murdered. It's not like, hey, someone was, you know, tragically run over. It's not like, oh, they got into an accident. You know, there was a fire at the building. It was someone was murdered. So he immediately thought Annalisa. So he called Sheila. Hey, babe, is Annalisa okay? I heard at lunch that a pharmacy employee was recently murdered and I just thought maybe it was Annalisa. What? Really? I wonder if Melissa did something. No, it can't be. Annalisa's fine. She's living in New Jersey. Two weeks later, Sheila came up to Paul to complain. Honey, I cut my, I cut my finger on a dog food can. Oh, whoa. When Paul looks at it, it's a nasty looking wound, but it didn't look fresh. What do I do? Well, that, well, you should probably go to the ER for that. Like get stitches or something. And she pretended to go. And when she came back, she said, yeah, they said they can't help me. What do you mean they can't help you? That's literally what the ER is for. By the time Thanksgiving rolls around, Sheila completely stopped talking about any and all love triangles at work. But out of the blue, she said that Jack and Annalisa broke up. What? Yeah, Melissa and Jack are together now, alone, and they're exclusive. Wow, I'm surprised. I mean, after all that drama, just like that, they're together? Yeah, I mean, if they're happy, I'm happy. A month after the murder of Annalisa, Sheila and Paul had a dinner party and one of their friends notices Sheila's gash on her hand. Oh my God, what happened? What did you do? Oh, that? That's nothing. And she seemed really distracted. She walked away because the only person that Sheila was interested in talking to at this party was a corrections officer in New York. 
Wait. She walks n- up to him. Not Nelson? No. Drink and tow. So Nelson wasn't invited. Oh. Because remember, Nelson has no idea that Sheila is uh, married to Paul and Paul was there. Ah. So drink and tow out of nowhere. So how do they find fingerprints? What? what? Like how do they how do they distinguish them from one another? Oh, that's so weird. Um, there's differences between each person's fingerprints. Shouldn't everyone know this? I mean, he was a little bit confused. How do you not know this? It's so weird. But are everybody's fingerprints on file? I mean, I guess if you didn't have a reason to be fingerprinted, they wouldn't be on file. Oh, okay. And she didn't seem so curious after that. She walked away. And when Nelson finally understood the gravity of what happened, he felt depressed. He had treated Anna so horribly, he couldn't even apologize now. So he had some friends come into town to try to stay with him, support him. But everyone was just over it. Dude, you cheated on her. I get it. You're grieving. But like, come on, get over it. I mean, his friends were really rude, I guess, right? They were like, you gotta, you gotta move on. Go stay with your parents for a little while or something. Now, what does Sheila do? Oh, nothing creepy. Yes, it's creepy. She sends him a box of cookies and condolences to his parents' address. Addressed to his parents as well. I mean, the whole thing is so weird. And he just thought, maybe this is her way of being nice. I mean, yeah, if they can't be dating, maybe they can be friends. So he calls her to say thank you, and that's how it started. They start talking on the phone, then eventually going on dates. Sheila started sending him strange letters again, would write things like, I've been worried sick about you. I keep going over everything in my mind, trying to envision what you think of me, not to mention all that you must be going through. And then she started her strange activism. So one day she went skiing with Nelson's friends, and she brought up war in the Middle East. And she claimed that one of Nelson's friends had said, let them be killed. There's too many people in the world anyway. I highly doubt that, okay? But that's what she claimed. And she starts telling Nelson, I can't believe your friend said that. I couldn't do anything the rest of the day. I was so distraught. I literally, when we got back to the hotel, I cried. I mean, how callous are people? How uncaring are they? Evil to say these things and suggest such a diabolical thing as ridding the world of people because there's too many. I can't stand the thought of anyone being dead or even hurt. You should know that I'm afraid of blood. Did you know that? She wrote about how gentle and kind she was in her letters to Nelson, how she wouldn't even have the heart to kill a fly. Oh, that saying bothers me because have you guys really never killed a fly before? You know the saying oh, that's like, I would, that oh, person's yeah. so nice they would never hurt a fly. I feel like I don't know one person in my life that hasn't killed a fly once. No? Like just by accident? Just one? By accident. <laughs> or on purpose? There's like electric fly swatters out there. That's real evil. I like it. Now, she would say, I can't even hurt a fly. I would use a glass and piece of paper to trap the flies and take them outside. Flies. Not even not even ladybugs or spiders. Flies. Full-on flies. She wrote about how she hated that Nelson would go hunting. Now, fun fact, Sheila's handwriting in all these letters was always flawless. I mean, kind of creepy. Never made a mistake, never smudged the ink, ever. She didn't even write on lined paper, but everything was perfectly even. That's a little weird. And all of these letters, it was working. Because by the time it's January of 2003, they're back together full force. They're going on romantic ski trips together. Well, not really. So Sheila invites him says my friends are coming let's go to the ski trip but of course all of her friends conveniently back out last minute and now well nelson let's just make the best of it we can have fun just us too let's not let it bring down our trip anna had only been murdered two months ago and let's be real nelson is moving on and it's quick sheila 
loved bragging to her friends again about Melissa and Jack's sex life. Melissa said that Jack was asking for anal sex recently, that Melissa would wake him up to um, oral sex every morning because she really wanted to keep him. She even started shaving her legs and armpits for Jack because Melissa, in her culture, didn't really believe in shaving. Didn't feel the need to. But now, for Jack, oh yeah, she was. As the two start getting closer, poor Paul is not doing great. He was fed up. I mean, he's at the end of his rope. It felt like they were roommates now. Not even friends. Definitely not partners. Paul gets keeps getting kicked out of the condo so that her brother can come over. And she's like, oh yeah, take your dog with you. My dog? Yeah, take Molly with you. But leave Brownie, the Boston Terrier, because Molly doesn't like my brother. But Brownie, the Boston Terrier? Oh yeah, she loves my brother. Even sleeps in the bed with him sometimes. Remember, the Boston Terrier is Nelson's favorite breed of dog. Okay, but Sheila, you need to tell your brother about us. Yeah, 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 I'll tell him on Valentine's Day. Eventually, Paul is finally picking up the red flags, the wine glasses, the men's shirts and pants, the fact that the sheets were always freshly washed when he got back from his little hotel trip, and he confronts her. I can't leave anymore, okay? This is my house too. And she says, yes, I totally get it. I totally understand. And Sheila did understand that she needed to murder Paul. So on February of 2003, a baseball player named Steve died. He was only 23 years old and he had died of um, an overdose of a powerful stimulant that makes your body pump adrenaline and it can cause organ failure. It was really bad. Sheila sees it on the news and she was intrigued, fascinated, bewildered, obsessed. I mean, sure, you could say she's in the pharmaceutical field. Maybe it's a professional curiosity that she had. But one day when she gets home from work, she tells Paul, hey, I have some vitamins and supplements. I think you should take them. They're from my herbalist. And he looked at her. She was holding up a bunch of bright yellow pills in a clear Ziploc bag. Not a bottle. Not even like a goodie bag. <laughs> no. Like what? You need to take about eight to ten of these pills. Oh, well, I mean, I guess I do have some high cholesterol. Maybe some natural supplements wouldn't hurt. So that night he takes eight. He can't sleep. His heart is pumping out of his chest. He's shaking, staring at the ceiling. Couldn't think. Couldn't do anything. The next morning he says, hey, Sheila, I think those pills made me sick. That's so weird. A few days later, she comes back in the morning. Hey, my herbalist reformulated the pills so they should work now. You should take them. And he does, but he only took five this time. He goes to the gym that morning and the same thing happened. He felt like his heart was going to explode. The rest of the day, he feels so sick. Finally, he tells her, they made me sick again. I can't take those anymore. Whatever, I was just trying to help. Then there was another incident where he bought a treadmill for the spare room. And she hated this. She said, it's so ugly. I don't want to put it in the guest room. Well, it's going in there, Sheila. Like, I need to work out. You don't even use this room. Fine, Paul. I don't intend on keeping you around much longer anyway. What did you just say? Oh, well, I just checked the receipt and it's a full refund within 30 days. That's great. What? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Saturday, March 22nd, Sheila begs Paul to go see his mom with her. I mean, honestly, that's super sweet, right? Like, we should have tea and sandwiches with your mom. Sheila had asked. Paul's like, wow, this is, this is nice. Maybe this means that she wants things to work out. She wants to try again. So they go, they have a great time with his mom, and then they leave. And she asks him, do you want to play this game? It requires you to be blindfolded and tied up. So he's thinking, whoa, a sex game? Maybe their relationship is getting fixed. So at this point, they're sleeping in separate rooms. Maybe things were looking up. 
I heard about it at work. I want to play it. Come on. Lay on the ground on your back and I'm going to handcuff you to the legs of a chair so you can't move around. And I'm also going to blindfold you. And I'm going to put these things on your body and you have to guess what it is. So it could be like a water bottle. It could be a hair tie. There was nothing sexual about this game. I mean, she was just using regular household items. (laughs) Is that a big Clorox bottle? No, it's not. (laughs) So she goes first. They do this in the spare room that Paul used for work. And she lays down, gets blindfolded. And he does a couple of things to her. And she's like, God, I'm not getting these right. Okay, this is boring. Why don't you try? So then she blindfolds him, ties him up, and starts putting things on his body. First, it was the dogs. Then it was a printer cartridge, like an ink cartridge. Then a calculator, a Spider-Man figurine, a shampoo bottle. He started to kind of enjoy it. He was guessing all of them right. Then she starts getting frustrated and she starts going downstairs and rummaging in the kitchen. When she gets back, she was upset. You're better at this game than me. This is the last item for you to guess. Okay. She gets on top of him, straddles him, leans over and brings a candle close to his mouth. He couldn't guess it, but I mean, he couldn't touch it, but he could smell it. So she picks up a giant knife. Paul feels a powerful blow to his chest. Then another. And Sheila was screaming. And finally, she calmly said, I think I hurt you. You're bleeding. (laughs) What? Now, Paul, she keeps saying, Paul, it was a mistake, an accident. He has no idea that he's been stabbed. He's been blindfolded. He felt like this blow on his chest and he knows something's wrong, right? But he doesn't know that he's been stabbed because how do you even know that feeling? What does it feel like? So he keeps saying, what what, what happened? Take the blindfold off. What happened? I think something fell on you. I think the candle fell on you. Okay, okay, that's fine. Um, just why don't you help me take a... Don't panic, Sheila, it's fine. I'm not mad. Just help me take the blindfold off. I can't find the handcuffed keys. Okay, that's fine. Just help me take the blindfold off and we can find the handcuffed keys. It's okay, like calm down. He didn't understand what was happening. He knew that he was probably injured, but he had no idea what. His breathing was getting shorter. He started sweating a lot. So Sheila finally resorts to breaking the chair to free him. What do I do? Now, Paul felt like Sheila was acting, that she was acting distressed. And she comes back with a glass of juice and says, here, drink this. So he's drinking it and he says, call 911 right now, Sheila, call an ambulance. I'm, I'm in a lot of pain. He started spasming. His whole body was spasming. Help me, Sheila, just call 911, please. Can you just get an ambulance here? And Sheila starts looking for her phone in slow motion. Dials 911. My husband's been hurt. We are playing a game. He's bleeding. He's having trouble bleeding. She gives the address to the condo. Please hurry. Please hurry. But there was nobody on the other end of that call. She never called 911. Sheila, I need to see the wound. Go get the mirror from the bathroom and hold it up to me so I can see the wound. Paul didn't see the depth to his wound in the mirror. Genuinely felt like something had fallen on him. Yes, he was bleeding, but he didn't know that he had been stabbed. I also think that his brain probably was not letting him get to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. So he keeps asking, well, where the hell is the ambulance? What's taking so long? Call them again, Sheila. Okay. So she pretends to call. Sheila, just give me the phone. Let me talk to the operator. Put the phone to my ear. Shh. The operator doesn't want to talk to you. She says you need to lay down flat. There's two ambulances out right now, but there's a delay because someone had a stroke. So they need to go to that person first. It's going to be about 25 minutes, Paul. What? He's thinking, that's utter bullshit. What kind of, what kind of sick joke is this? Where are the keys to the handcuff, Sheila? I don't know. Well, let me talk to the operator. You can't, Paul. She wants you to stay calm. Here, take this. And she came back with some NyQuil. 
He's like, no, I don't want some freaking NyQuil. I'm going to get drowsy. So he starts struggling to get off the floor onto the futon. And Sheila says, well, I can go into a walk-in clinic and see if they can take someone or if they can find someone. But she comes back in five minutes. No way she found a doctor or walked into a local clinic and asked some questions. So she sits down with him on the couch and says, you're so brave, Paul. They can't help you. We just have to wait. But you're so brave. I love you. And he says, you know, Sheila, things haven't really been good with us. We've got to really work on things. I know, Paul, I know. Nothing I do helps you, huh? I don't know, Sheila, I'm feeling dizzy. I can't stop sweating. My breathing is slowing. And Sheila goes to find the handcuff key and goes outside to make a call. I'm going to try to call someone to help you, okay? So outside the condo, she calls Nelson. Hey, do you want to come over for dinner tonight? Yeah, sounds great. Um, It's on my way back home. I'll be there in a couple of hours. Okay, sounds perfect. She goes back in to rub Paul's back, holding him on the couch. Now, Sheila had nicked an artery going into his heart. This is fatal if it wasn't treated soon. So he could actually die. Like, yes, the stab wounds were not that deep. He wasn't bleeding out profusely, but it was bad. But Sheila thinks he's dying. Yes. Paul wanted to go to the hospital right now. I mean, he had fought this idea because he kept thinking, well, what if the ambulance comes the minute that I leave? But he couldn't take it anymore. So he's like, let's go. She forces him to put a jacket on. That's so strange. Why do I need a jacket to go to the emergency room? It's not even cold outside. And even if it was, I'm going into the car and I need to go to the emergency room. She slowly helps him tie his shoes, put on his jacket. Okay, okay, let me just, um, are you sure you want to go? Okay, okay, let's help you to the car. So she starts driving super slow, starts taking all these wrong turns. And when they approach a random road, she pulls over and gets out. He's like, what the hell is going on? I need to get to a hospital. And she says, here, here, lay down. Just lay down. If you lay down flat, it'll be a lot better. I think that she was trying to put him to sleep because the whole concept that if you're dying and you close your eyes and you fall asleep, you're dead. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those movies where like you have to stay awake after you've been shot or stabbed. Just help me, Sheila. Can you please just let me drive? No, you're too sick. And she starts driving again. Now she slowly pulls in to the parking lot of the hospital, but she doesn't go to the ER entrance. She straight up goes to the parking lot. Like the one you would go if you have like a general general doctor's visit Mm -hmm. with your family doctor. Or maybe you're visiting someone. You don't have to rush. You just park and it's a huge parking lot. Then you got to walk to the elevator. Then you got to walk through the bridge of the hospital because hospitals are massive. And Paul's like, okay, whatever, I'm just going to get into the hospital. Maybe they can get me a gurney. So as he's trying to get out of the car, he's immediately dizzy and he screams, Sheila, can you please help me? And she walks over with a bloody kitchen knife in her hand. And she was angry. Paul realized something was wrong, finally. And she lunged at him. He feels this sharp pain in his chest. And then he sees Sheila getting ready to stab him again. And he manages to grab both of her her arms. One of his hands was stabbed because, you know, he grabbed both of her arms. And she kept saying, you're taking me away from my brother and I can't let you do that. I love my brother. That's not true, Sheila. I'm not taking away. I'm not taking you away from your brother. What are you talking about? You've been pressuring me about not wanting to leave the condo. I'm sick. I'm taking my brother's medicine. Just let go of the knife, Sheila. Look, you're taking me away from my brother and I can't let you do that. Now, at this point, Paul is bleeding like crazy. I mean, he's so close. He's at the hospital parking lot. So he headbutts Sheila and she starts screaming, help me, Paul. She drops the knife. He holds it. He picks it up, looks at Sheila and says, I'm sorry, but I have to kill you now. But instead of killing her, he finds two giant stacks of building bricks near them. Like it was always near them. He finds a crack between one of them, slides the knife in so that neither of them could grab it. And Sheila looks at him and says, good. You got rid of the knife. 
Paul, you have to stay. Please stay with me. Please stay. I have to go get help, Sheila. No, you have to stay with me. You have to stay with me. And he punches her, but he misses. But she still falls on the ground and he rushes into the hospital and he starts screaming. I've been stabbed. I've been stabbed. Sheila runs in screaming. No, that's not true. He attacked me. <laughs> what? what in the world? Goes up to Paul's ear and whispers, don't you dare say anything or I will get into more trouble. And starts telling the rest of the staff. I can take him to the emergency room. Just let him come with me. I can take him to the ER. Now they refused and one of the workers went over to Sheila's car, took the keys out of her ignition so that she couldn't drive off and the police were called. She was arrested on the spot. Paul went into open heart surgery and he could have died if they had waited even mere minutes, but he survived. Sheila would later claim that she was hallucinating, that it all started a couple years ago. When she would look out the windows, she would see these dark figures, these demons that were approaching her. Sometimes they made it into the house. Sometimes they would rip apart her books and she was in a trance. When she woke up, there would be torn books in her hands. The demons were in her head. She had this volcanic rage. She didn't want to kill Paul, but he was, he was guessing all the items right. And he, he was so much better at the game than she was. She was so upset. And that's when a demon appeared and stabbed him in the chest. It wasn't her. It was the demon. But it all felt premeditated because she had taken him to see his mom earlier that day as like a goodbye day. It's all weird. So what is wrong with Sheila? Later, a lot of people would speculate that she had intermittent explosive disorder. Now, like a lot of diagnosis, this does not mean someone is murderous, okay? But it's just repeated episodes of impulsive, aggressive, violent behavior. Sometimes it's non, non-physical, it's just verbal, where you just react grossly out of proportion with the situation. So a lot of people might experience this in domestic violence, road rage, throwing things, breaking walls, temper tantrums when you're an adult. Like, it's just weird. Anyway... Nelson gets to her condo and the police are just swarming the place. Like, what a deja vu moment. So he's like, what's going on? There's been a domestic dispute. Huh? Like, doesn't that usually mean like a couple? Yeah, the husband was stabbed. He's in the hospital. The husband? That doesn't make any sense. So he goes home. He's trying to think in peace, but the police come to question him. You forgot to tell us that you were in a relationship with Sheila. This time, Nelson lawyered up. Now, when it was time for the trial, Nelson denied all romantic involvement, said it was just sex. And at first, the police didn't like him because he was strange. Even at Anna's funeral, you could see him walking around, greeting people like he was running the place. And then every once in a while, he would walk into a corner and just sob. You could hear him wailing throughout the room. It was like echoing. But when he turned around, there were no tears. The whole thing was weird. So he helped the police. He wore a wire with Sheila. But nothing really came of it, which is fine, I guess, right? She denied all doing. She said, I have nothing to do with it, Nelson. I did go to Annalise's house one time because she had invited me. We were friends. And in February of 2004, Sheila stood trial for attempted murder of her husband, Paul. Lawyers tried to say it was a psychotic break, that the dark figure made her stab Paul, and she was a shell of a person. Maybe it was all the drugs that she was taking. Remember that? But when they checked her place, she wasn't taking that many drugs. She never stole from work. She only took a few things that were prescribed to her. There was no signs of overdosing or drug abuse. So even that was a lie. Sheila was found guilty and she never reacted. She was given a maximum sentence of 25 years. And Paul had actually gone to visit her in prison to get closure. But all she wanted to do was talk about a book she wanted to write on the fictional account of Anna's murder. (laughs) Kidding me. Are you kidding me? (laughs) 
So the police want to get her for Anna's murder. That's when they find Anna's sink faucet handle was a mixture of Anna and Sheila's blood. This was their big break, right? They bring this to the prosecutors and they did not get a warrant for years because there was, you know, budget cuts. There was politics involved, which is, I mean, crazy because you're thinking about justice. They were thinking, what's the rush? She's already in jail. Yeah, what's the rush of this whole family wanting closure and justice? What's the rush, right? So finally, November of 2007, she is arrested and her trial would drag out for another four years because she represented herself in court. When Paul testified, she had to cross-examine him and she uh, failed. He was a great witness. The jury loved him. She tried to argue that Paul's memory sucked because it had been 10 years ago. She said things like, Mr. Christos, you don't know if I didn't call 911, correct? I do know that you didn't call 911. And how would you know that? Because the police have no record of your phone ever calling 911. The defense rests. I mean, she was a show she cried that paul was so cold to her while he was on the stand sheila was also interrogating nelson viciously he would say things like yeah sheila and i were just friends i'm sorry what just friends at one point nelson called it a fling and she was upset i mean really bad the jury was entertained but it was really bad so the sentence she was on the charge of murder the court sentenced her to 50 years that would be served consecutively to the sentence that had been imposed by the state of new york so 25 plus 50 sheila was 43 years old at this point and this would effectively hopefully become a life sentence and she's still in prison and nelson is you know hopefully out there i don't know what he's doing okay i hope paul is doing great Paul really just wanted to have faith in his own wife. He was probably mentally, emotionally, physically, well, I don't know about physically, but definitely mentally and emotionally abused, which is why, I mean, I know a lot of people might sit there and say, how could he have not known, right? And that's why I gave him so much benefit of the doubt. How could you know? If you love this person, you trust this person, how do you know they're going to stab you in a hospital parking lot? You can't mm -hmm. know. So he's saying that the moment he realized was at the, the parking, parking lot. lot. Wow. Like now in hindsight, he's saying, I do remember she was, it almost was like she was moving in slow motion, but he thought that it was his pain. Mm. You know, when you're in so much pain, yep. you're like, come on, hurry. Yep. Get me the medicine, right? Damn, the poor dude really didn't suspect Did anything. Did not. For years. So that's the story of one hell of an office love triangle. What are your thoughts on this case? And I hope you guys enjoyed and I'll see you guys on Sunday for the mini-sode. Bye.